0: This morning, our subject is a heavy subject. It's the subject of grief. Uh, You may not know this, but just about every person you know has some good reason to feel grief right now. Uh, We often put it down beneath the surface, but it's there. Uh, Some of you will be in the midst of grief right now for a loss, uh, and it will be on the surface. And we're all in different places Uh, maybe right now, but grief is something that visits every human life, and so it's something to talk about together, Uh, especially as a church that's working at understanding how to feel, and that's what we've been doing for these months behind us, Uh, working really at following Jesus. That's what our church is for, a church of people who are trying to know Jesus and walk with him, And, and, and what we've learned together, to keep it simple, is that to walk with Jesus means to love God and to love other people, That's what it is to follow him. And in order to do that, we have to learn how to manage our feelings, to manage our hearts. You can't love God, you can't love others, you can't love yourself if your heart is out of control. And all of us will know how feelings can do that to us. And so we've learned together how to feel. And this morning we come to the end of our series with this last feeling in particular, this heavy, burdensome feeling which is grief. Uh, Just less than three weeks ago now, my own grandmother died. She was 99 years old. In just a few months, she would have been 100. When you're that old, you don't have any friends left to come to your funeral. And so it was family together. And that was actually quite special. We sat together in a circle, and I, as the pastor at that funeral, I asked each person to share their memories. Uh, First, my mom started because it was her mother. She knew uh, her mother longer than anyone else there in that circle, and so she shared. And then her sister Then my father talked about her and, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, that was my father then and and then each one of us around all the way down to my youngest daughter, Lily, uh, who talked about what it was like to lose grandma. Uh, Our niece was there. She's 17. She couldn't stop crying. Have you been in a moment like that where you're sitting and you can't stop crying? For her, it was the first time that a family member had died and she told us that, how hard it was and how heavy it was. When she finished sharing that, I felt it was important for me as not only a family member, but as a pastor. And this is why this morning I'm going to preach honestly about grief. It was important for me to tell the truth. And so I said, after each person got done sharing, I said to her, her name is Tacey. I said, Tacy, I'm thankful that you're able to grieve like you are, but I want you to know this is not the last time that we're all going to be together as a family like this. Uh, the next time we gather, one of us won't be here. Do you know that's true? My father, who's the oldest, I think he thought I was talking about him. He started to shift in his chair. <laughs> I was thinking honestly about me because this marathon training has been making me feel my age. But it's a fact in our lives that grief will come. And not only when we're at a funeral, of course there, but when, when we were little, we felt grief, didn't we? Everywhere you look, a girl whose friends turn on her And now in the fifth grade, she feels like maybe she's not lovable. Or a boy who has a hard time falling asleep at night because he's anxious. And so he doesn't have enough energy during the day and he can't make himself sleep. Or uh, a friend uh, who used to be really close and supportive to you uh, and, and make you feel like as an adult you could manage, but then all of a sudden it got icy and they turned away. Or that couple that you know who was close but there's been so little loving kindness in their marriage for so long that now they're separating and their kids are swallowed up in stress. Or a father who's in anguish over his son's bad choices but he can't do anything to change where his son is going. A woman who's lost her mother and can't have conversations with her any longer. Young parents who lose a child in pregnancy. Uh, The ribbon that I'm wearing right here is for pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. I think many of us would be surprised to know how many in our midst suffer with that loss. Any parent who outlives their children for any reason, the pain that grief brings can be so great that hearing what some people face might make you feel that your challenges are nothing by comparison and so you feel guilty for the grief that you feel. Does anybody deal with that? What I'm gonna ask us to do this morning is two things. First, is to set aside the comparison game and to acknowledge that whatever the grief is that we personally have to face, it's the hardest thing that we've had to face. And so to be here this morning to learn how to feel that so that we don't become undone by grief, which is what it threatens. That's one thing I'm gonna ask you to do. And then the second thing, how about this? Can we all imagine that we're in a big circle and we're family with each other right now? And for some of us, grief is gonna be more pointed than for others, but we're gonna support each other here. Can we agree to that? Yes or no? Okay, good. If you're not certain that you want to agree, I want you to take it as a sign in the, in the others who've answered yes, that when you come to a church, you come to a place where people are ready to be with each other. So if you're ready for that, say yes even louder, would you? Yes, yes. okay. And if you can't bear it on your own, know that others are around, around you. God Brings people into our lives to help us walk the road that we have to walk. And grief is one of those roads. And 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 the reason we need to learn, this is why, is when our feelings are mismanaged, especially around grief, what happens is that puts distance between us and God. And what we need, especially in grief, more than anything, is to be close to God and to feel close to Him. And and, and for some of you who know God well, you know that already. And so you're ready to say, all right, let me face my grief or let me learn about how to face the grief that may come so that I don't get far from God when it comes. Others of you who aren't sure about God, I'm telling you that God is the one who is ready to be with us whatever we face, even grief. Even if our feelings of grief are aimed in in anger against him, he's ready to be with us. And this morning we're going to learn about what grief feels like, about where grief comes from, and about how to move through grief from, from the scriptures and from one person in particular who knew what grief was like from the inside out. He wrote a book called Lamentations. Does it sound like a happy book? No, it's a book that expresses grief. And uh, as best we can tell, it was written by Jeremiah, a man who lived through grief. And so we're gonna learn from him uh, about grief. First of all, what grief actually feels like. It's not something we often dwell on, but we're gonna do it this morning to grow. So let's start there. In chapter three of of his book, Lamentations, in verse 17, he describes the feeling of grief in this way. See if it it resonates with your own experiences of grief. He writes this, My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I'd hoped for from the Lord. Maybe some of you have felt like that for very obvious reasons in life. You've lost a beloved family member. Maybe others have never thought of grief in this way, but, but notice in this description how grief is a feeling which can impact you in the present and change your experience of the past and also affect the future so that it's pervasive in time. Uh, you'll see it in there if you look carefully at what he says. In the present, grief empties a soul of peace. You know what it's like to have inner rest and to feel like all is good from the inside out? Do you know that experience? Grief takes that away and it replaces that settled feeling with an inner aching. The word grief actually comes from an old French word that means burden. And and it came Uh, Earlier on from the Latin word for heavy or grave, grief is a weight which is carried in your heart which is too heavy to carry. That's what grief feels like in the present. It pulls you down from the inside. Now that feeling, if you face it, it affects your connection with the past. Do you notice that phrase there? I have forgotten what happiness is. Uh, At our best, when we face trouble, we can look back at better days and and we can take joy from the memories that are back there. You know what that's like, right? To look back and to be encouraged about what used to be. But here, grief can get to the point where it takes your memory uh, of the past uh, and turns it sour so that it doesn't help you at all. You can't even remember what happiness is like. And then it casts into the future. And this is the third thing which he says, uh, so that when you look ahead, instead of being hopeful, you, you say like he does, gone is, is glory now. It's gone and it will never return. Everything that I'd hoped for, even from God, will remain out of reach from now on. When grief like that comes into your heart for whatever reason, what you need is to see that you're sitting in a circle of people who are ready to be there with you, family. And by the way, this is one of the most beautiful things about what it is to trust Jesus. When a person says, Jesus, you are my Lord, then that person receives for herself all of the other people who are also trusting in Jesus, she receives brothers and sisters. Or for any man who says, I'm willing to walk with you, Jesus, then he has around him a family of people who are older and wiser and younger and more pure to help. And so when grief begins to consume, you've got that. Would you accept it? Yes or no? Please give your heart to Jesus and accept that you have that. But then also you have the threat in those moments of, of a feeling which will consume you And that's what happened for Jeremiah. Look at what he writes next. This is a description of of being consumed by grief. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul thinks of it, uh, continually thinks of it, and is bowed down within me. There is a description of how bad it can get. A soul which is preoccupied with the thought is a soul which is bowed down. Maybe you know what it's like to have grief pushing you down as if you're, you're there pressed into the, into the ground and you can't even get up. Uh, the images which the author uses here are poetic and powerful. Affliction is a Hebrew word that's used for an aggressor who attacks violently, uh, a victim who is weaker than that aggressor. Homelessness is an image of nowhere to rest, nowhere to be at ease, no connection with the comforts of home or the people who are in your family to welcome you after a long day. Wormwood and gall, both of those are images of supreme bitterness because when grief settles on a heart and makes it bow down and gets the best of it, it can feel just like that. Like you are a person with no support who's under attack, who doesn't have the kind of comfort and connection that comes from a home and and who is continually uh, wrapped up in it. Whatever it is for you, uh, whether it feels great or small compared to others, all of us either now or someday will know what it feels like to feel grief. Uh, Even though uh, Jeremiah wrote long before there was a discipline of psychiatry, or before there were professional psychologists, the truth about his description is it rings true what you can fi- with what you can find in the DSM-5 even today. The emotional and physical symptoms of prolonged grief are just what we see here. Uh, now, if you felt it, you may think, Uh, there are innumerable things that can cause grief. And in fact, as many of us as there are in this room, in some way there are just that many causes for grief. But if we all were able to open up in this circle of ours and say, honestly, here's what it is for me, what we would discover is in all of the multiplicity of reasons, there is actually a single thread which runs through the heart of every cause of grief, which unites us all in what we feel. And it's this. Grief comes from loss. It comes when you lose something to which you were attached. When that thing is taken away, when you lose something that matters to you, the natural response for you is going to be to feel grief. Uh, Jeremiah wrote this during the exile. When God's people were removed from their land and brought into enemy territory as prisoners, for them the exile meant... Loss, that's what it meant. Loss of home, comfort, security, relationships, freedom, esteem, identity, connection with God's people and a sense of God's nearness, hope in the future and confidence in God's power and protection in the present. All of that was lost in the exile and so naturally the people felt grief because whenever something important to you is lost, the natural response is to feel that inner weight and heaviness we call grief. Now sometimes, we let ourselves get attached to things which are not good for us and would be better lost. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever experienced grief because you lost something which really made you sad, but then later on you realize it was a good thing, it was taken away? Yes or no? Yeah, I can remember that relationship where everyone around me said, "Uh, Christian, this is not a good idea, and I threw myself into it anyway, and then at the end, when all of my friends could have said, I told you so, Instead of saying that, they let me move from grief into joy, which you feel when a bad relationship ends. Can you see that sometimes our attachments aren't actually healthy for us, and the best thing is to lose and feel a little grief? And maybe it was a job for you. Did you have a job where you started out and you loved it, but after three months when you were fired and you fell to pieces, you felt deep grief until another job came along that was actually much better for you, and you could look back and say, what a great thing that I lost that job. There are moments for us in life where our attachments uh, reveal themselves to have been unhealthy for us, and when that happens, the best thing is to lose, to feel the grief, and then to move as quickly as possible from grief into joy. In moments like that, that is the right strategy. On the other hand, for every one of us in here, there are attachments which are good and which when lost will cause us to feel real grief. And almost always those attachments are the most important gifts which any person can receive in life, which are the gifts that come wrapped up in flesh, which are the people that God gives us in our lives. And I'm looking at, Many of you who I know who have lost children, or have lost parents, have lost a mother, uh, who have to go on forward without that beloved person beside you, and and it's it's not only in death. It's not. It could just be in friendship. A trusted friend turns on you. They cut you off, and the warmth and companionship you had depended upon is lost. And now you are attached to it, and with that attachment removed, you feel grief, and you should. Or maybe it was work relationships that had been collegial and now they shifted to adversarial. You had trust and you lost it. And instead of having that confidence and esteem at work, you have grief because that good thing is gone. And maybe it was a relationship in your family, which is gone. Maybe it was a healthy romantic relationship, which ended and you're alone. And maybe it was death. Maybe it was a beloved pet. And now... That, that source of joy is gone. Maybe it was a friend or a companion or a family member who has died. Maybe it was even a child. And, that, and losing that has caused you to feel such pain and you're, and, you're, and you're unbelievably overwhelmed. And now that that grief has settled in your heart, and again, no comparison here, whatever it is for you, let that thought come into your mind. That feeling of grief, which is that soul emptied of peace. And the reason it came is because you lost something good. Let that come into your mind as well. And now the question for you is, what will you do with it? And I can, I can share this with you from a, an unusual, unusually high level of experience with grief as a pastor. Uh, back in 1996, I was invited to be a chaplain at a hospital in my first year at seminary, and I was with families losing uh, loved ones every day for months. And since then, I've been a pastor invited into innumerable instances of grief, and I promise you, that the outcome depends almost entirely on how you choose to respond to what causes your grief. You have to trust me in this. It's not just about how heavy the cause is. It's about whether you decide to respond to grief in this way or that way. And here I wanna put Jeremiah aside for a minute, and I wanna share this with you. I have seen two patterns of response to grief which seem very different, but both of which are equally unhealthy. One is the pattern of avoidance, and the other is the pathway of indulgence. What I mean by that is some, when they're struck with grief, whether it's great or small, do everything they can to get away from the cause of grief And they try to avoid it and go down that path, working extra hours, developing new friendships and putting that all behind them. Trying to get away from it is one strategy and the other is to settle down into it and to become the person from now on who is that grief. Let me ask you, have you ever met someone who is pathologically avoiding difficulties? Do you know anybody like that in your life? Yes or no? No one knows somebody like that? You just don't wanna let on that you know somebody like that. Let's be together, we're in the family circle here. Let's not be awkward. Do you know someone like that, yes or no? How about the other one where somebody who just becomes their grief, you know anyone like that? Which one are you? Don't answer now, think about it. The reason you need to answer this question, which one are you, is because whether it's more this or that, what you need is to find a different way to respond to grief so that your grief does not separate you from God so that your heart is still in God's hands even when you're sitting in that circle that you don't want to be in, and so you can both receive God's love and give it even in the darkest days. We started to learn to take the path of avoiding grief when we were three or four years old because when we cried about losing something, our parents told us to stop crying. The child loses his blanket. He's six years old and is crying, and it's bedtime, and you're thinking, it's time for you to go to sleep. And so you say, stop crying, it's not that big a deal. You're thinking, it probably got lost in the dryer with my socks, and I'm not crying about my socks. Be quiet. And you didn't do this to be mean to your child because it, it was at the end of the day, and you thought, he's gotta get over this blanket, and the child learns, even then, I was attached to that, but I guess I'm not supposed to feel bad. And, and it goes on and on. And listen, now, if you're thinking as a parent, oh my gosh, I did that to my child last night. I have another reason to feel bad about myself. Stop! <laughs> Okay, stop it. Wait, I just told you to stop feeling bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Feel bad if you feel bad, but don't let those feelings make you a person who runs away. As an adult, you grow up and you take that lesson don't cry into the present. And when you feel bad, you tell yourself, get over it already. Put it behind you, stop feeling bad about it. And we do this with with whatever grief it is, even if it's a grief about our job or a dream that we had that didn't work out or if it is a death, we say, "We, we gotta put it behind us. No, you don't, you can't. You can try to go down the road of avoidance, but if you do, do you know what you end up avoiding? You end up avoiding reality. Because reality has grief in it. And then you move away from the real you and God can't love a fake version of you, only the real you. And so you've got to not go on that path and be you. And and that's the only way to let God love you as you are. The other mistake, it's not the path of avoidance, it's the path of indulgence. It's the path of saying, now that this harm has come to me, now that I've had to face this loss, nothing good will ever come from now on. I'm gonna settle in and this is where I'm gonna be forever. This is it, this is me from now on. And no matter what good comes along or what bright light shines, maybe even because you feel you don't deserve it, You say no, no happiness from now on. Have you encountered someone like that? That's also a temptation that many people give into, especially when the grief is so heavy it's too hard to bear. And maybe you have never had a grief like that yet. I want you to understand that without our wanting it, many of us will find ourselves having to face grief that is absolutely beyond us to carry. And many times when that takes place, we can be crushed by it. Nothing like the death of a child threatens to do this more, at least in my experience. And I know many of you who have lost children. When I was a young pastor, I dealt with it two or three times. The fourth time I was with a family that lost a child, it was actually the death of their second son in two years. And I'll never forget it. It was 8.33 in the morning, The phone rang in January and it was this man who asked me two years earlier to help his son get through the loss of his brother. And he said, we lost Dustin. He took his life and I was over there and they were lying face down in their bedroom and I put his his head in my lap and I put my hand on her back as they sobbed and he sobbed over and over again. It's my fault, it's my fault. I should have done something, I should have known. When the police were taking his body out of the house, he shouted, Arrest me, it's my fault. And then he turned to his wife and he said, God hates us, I knew it, and that's why this has happened. And, and God have mercy on us, may none of us ever have to feel like that. But I can tell you that in this, a circle with this many people in us, maybe some of us will have to face that. Do you know that? Can we please promise to try to be family to each other if any one of us has to go through that? Yes or no? I met him years later again, and he told me that his favorite book had become the book of Job in the Bible because he was sure he was Job, and that God would hate him, and he would never feel joy again as long as he lived. Both roads will tempt us, the people in this room, when we face grief, both roads, to go on avoiding or to stay in indulging, but neither one is the road that God wants us to take. What he wants us to do is to be unsettled from either one and instead to go on a middle road, which is the road, listen now, not avoiding grief, not getting stuck in grief, but in moving through grief. And I say that very carefully. There is just no way around it. When you lose something that you loved, you will always live with that loss from now on, and that's how life is. And that does not have to be an overwhelming or terrible thing. It does not have to be. It will change you, of course. You will not ever be the same person. But by God's grace, you are invited to walk differently because of who God has decided to be on the road through grief. And that's God's invitation to you. And Jeremiah was someone who had every reason either to avoid or to indulge in grief. He did neither. And we know that because of what he said after his magnificent description of what grief feels like when in verse 21, he shows a signpost to a different road. Look at what he wrote. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He does not say this I call to mind and therefore I don't feel grief because that's not possible, that's not how it works. He does say that there is an activity that he engages in in on purpose, which is a mental activity, which results in the journey forward through grief being one which is no longer hopeless, but instead has hope in it. And I want you to try to use your imagination to picture what he's talking about when he says, call to mind. You may not think like this about your own experiences of grief, but the truth is when you're standing at that crossroad, there are thoughts which run through your mind, which either force you to dwell in it or to try to run away from it. Thoughts like, it's your fault, and from now on, you're never gonna be happy again, and that will make you wanna avoid it. Or maybe you'll indulge in that and feel like you're the one to blame. Or it's always gonna be painful, and you'll never have reprieve, and that will make you wanna run. But here, Jeremiah depicts a mental activity where he summons his own thoughts to his mind. It's, it's, it's odd, but try it. Imagine it's you, and there's you there, and you're bringing new thoughts into that mind of yours so that you don't have to walk hopelessly through grief and and by god's grace any man or woman any one of you is welcome now to give your heart to jesus and then call the same thoughts to your mind when you face grief that jeremiah does and then you will walk through grief with hope and here are the thoughts look at what they are this is verse 22 and 23 the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness. There are three, three attributes of God which he calls to mind. All three of them bring hope in his situation which would otherwise have remained utterly hopeless, and and if we look at them one at a time, we'll be given signposts for our own responses to whatever it is that grieves us. Look at the first one, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Steadfast means strong and consistent through time. The same, even though circumstances change, the opposite of fickle and shifting and unpredictable as so many things we depend on in life are. Steadfast means secure and certain. God's love for me is steadfast, he thinks, and it will never end. And that means there in his grief, he is thinking, God loves me now, God will love me tomorrow, and God will never, ever stop loving me. And he knows, as anyone who's honest knows, that he can look into the future and he doesn't actually understand what will, life will be like in three years. Do you know that about your life? You have no idea what it will be like. You don't know if you'll have the same friends. You don't know if you'll have your physical health. You don't know if you'll have your job or your career or if any one of your dreams will have materialized or they all have evaporated. The entire world can crumble. And, and the one thing we know for sure, however, from this beautiful word of God is that his love for us will never cease. And so no matter what changes three years from now, one thing will not, and that is that you personally will be the one who God loves. And you're free to call that to mind in grief now and to let that bring hope into the darkness on the path that you have to walk. Would you do that? What does it mean that God loves you for your grief? You know what it means? It means that he is listening to you right now. It means that when your heart cries out because of the pain, God's ear is open to you. And it means that he's not standing far apart, but rather he has decided to come right onto the road of grief with you, and he also grieves with you because of the loss that that you have to face. That he is a companion in the valley that is as dark as death, and that you don't need to fear any evil because he, because of his love, is right there with you. The Bible is very poetic in the way it uses images to capture what God's love for you is like. Imagine how these might work with your grief, ready? God loves you like a warrior who is singing over you and rejoicing over you. For you strong in the power of his love. God loves you like a husband who goes after his wife who has been unfaithful no matter what he will never let her go because his love cannot be undone by her unfaithfulness that's the kind of love that God has for you God loves you like a father who teaches his son to walk and when his son falls down he picks him up again that's what God's love is like for you God loves like a mother who lifts her infant to her breast in order to feed that child all of those images come from the Old Testament telling us what God's love is like for us and so now wherever you are in grief, breathe this in. God's love is steadfast for me and it will never end. The second thought he calls to mind is that God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I'll tell you, that the thought of God's love may sound good to us, but what I've seen as a pastor is the unique pain of grief that comes when a person thinks I have to face this because I did the wrong thing. Now, that's not everybody in here. Many of us will have griefs griefs that come upon us because of others, but I know that that uh, that friend of mine that I've described thought it was his fault, and maybe you have a grief like that, and the thought of God's love might might make you think, well, I must have been cut off from it because I did this. Mercy is God's decision to love those who don't deserve it. And so this is a second thought that Jeremiah calls to mind. He had to call it to mind because he knew that God's people were in the exile because they had decided to turn away from the path that God asked them to go on. They'd given their uh, their hearts to false gods. They'd perverted justice and oppressed the weak and exploited the powerless. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you will see that Jeremiah believes that it's God's judgment that landed them where they are. But this second thought comes to mind because even though and as God is a just God, God is also God merciful. And that means that there is no wrong that any one of us can commit that will ever overcome or overwhelm the mercy of God because his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And that means that if you're in grief that wakes you up early in the morning before the sun rises, and I know some of you face grief like that. Tomorrow morning, if you wake up and it's still dark and your heart feels grief, then look at the sky until the sun starts to change the color of the sky. And as soon as it starts to lighten, you tell yourself, the night cannot win against the sunrise. The sun is stronger. The darkness may be dark, but, but the power of the sun is stronger than any darkness. And there's nothing that the darkness can do to keep the sun from rising. And then you tell yourself, God's mercy for me is exactly like that. It is new every single morning. And if at the end of today, I think I need more mercy, go to sleep, wake up tomorrow. And what you have a promise from God is more mercy because that's who God is. His mercy never comes to an end. And it is new every morning. And now, the last thing that Jeremiah calls to mind, which gives him hope, is Great is your faithfulness. And here, he's stopped talking about God and instead has turned his language toward God. And what he says to God is Great is your faithfulness. And here, he is making a statement of faith. He is not reporting on an observed fact. And there's a big difference. Nothing in his situation makes it seem like God is faithful. In fact, it feels like the reason he's facing his grief is because somehow God didn't come through. And I know that some of you deal with grief like that. And it's not an unchristian thing to face grief and feel angry at God for being unfaithful because if he were, why would I feel this? And, and, and adults, some of you here will feel that right now. It starts also when kids are young. I was talking to my son in last week and he told me, dad, I asked him, what can I pray for you for? tonight. He said, pray that I would get to sleep, because he's the one who struggles with sleeping. And he said, Dad, I pray every night that I would fall asleep, but I still stay up. And if God loves me, why doesn't he answer my prayer? It really tests my faith. So many of us will have that, right? But this is a statement of trust. That's why he says, great is your faithfulness, because he decides to speak against the situation he's in because he trusts, and this is what every one of you who trusts Jesus is, is free to accept, that beyond the horizon, which is as far as he can see in life, there is a city of God in which all pain and misery and, and suffering is taken away. That there is a day in the future where the true faithfulness of God will no longer be a subject of faith or hope, but it will be a lived experience. Because when Jesus died and rose again, he went and prepared a place for everyone who would trust him. And in that place, there is no more grief. There is no more sorrow. God is present to wipe away every tear, and there is joy and pleasure forevermore. And then there is no reason to go on traveling with hope because every good thing that was lost and broken, and please, in this moment, you let whatever good thing that you've lost that has caused you grief, come into your mind and try to imagine what it would be like if that thing were perfected by God, the creator of all things. And let me tell you, you can't even imagine how good it will be. And beyond that horizon, toward which we're invited to walk through grief, is God himself in Christ waiting for you. And he is faithful in his promises. And you will be there. And we will be there. And there we can forever look back and say, not... I can't even remember what happiness is, but I can't even remember what grief was because every part of us will be filled with God's goodness and love. And that's the promise for people who have to walk through grief. I want you to commit these to memory as much as you can. God loves me now and he will love me tomorrow and the next day too. God's mercy is for me And it's new every day. God's faithfulness toward me is great. And even though I can't feel it or see it now, in the end, I know his promises are forever. And then let's be people as as individuals here in a church altogether that doesn't avoid grief, that doesn't dwell in it, but instead walks through it. And, And then let us be people who can invite others to receive the help that we get as we hope in Christ on the journey that we have to walk on. What do you say, should we do it? Yeah. Let me say that to be together with you in these months thinking about feelings has been, for me, eye-opening to see uh, how complex we are as people. Does anyone else feel like that? Yeah. I wanna ask you to set that complexity aside and if you have questions, come next week in the evening and we can talk about what your questions are. But this morning, I wanna end by asking you to consider the, the most important thing that I've really said in all of, these, all of these messages, which is that your heart, as long as it's held in your hands, it will never, never be managed in the way that it was meant to. And so I want to I encourage you and challenge you and call you and equip you to, to let go of your own heart and give it to Jesus. Because in his hands, then it will come to life as, as it's meant to. So I wanna lead you into prayer to that end now. I'm gonna be silent first and if you wanna pray for that quietly, do that while I'm silent but then I'll lead us uh, in in a prayer to close us up. God, I thank you that when you gave yourself for the world in Christ, you purchased each and every one of us So that from now on, everything that we have and we are belongs to you. I ask that each of us in our own way, in our own unique way, would be able to put our hearts, which really are yours, back into your hands. And there in your hands, we would find the life that you mean us to have. If we are people of faith, who have come to trust you as our Lord in the past, renew us in that decision, which is a decision simply to acknowledge what's already true, that we belong to you. Again, we give ourselves to you and ask, that you would be our Lord as we would live as your children, as your people, as your servants. And then, God, for those of us who've never in our own hearts uh, turned ourselves over to you, I ask that now your spirit would take away every barrier to that step of faith, that decision of faith, and we would fully surrender ourselves to you and find ourselves living in your grace. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.